welcome to this uh, greatly anticipated series called Wasted. And uh, as I shared with my pastor friends this week and with theologians, I was making sure that I was theologically correct on these things. I was sharing with friends. Uh, many of them were like, wow, you're going to talk about alcohol. You're going to talk about drunkenness. You're going to talk about being wasted. And they're like, that's controversial. And I was like, I know. I know. Pray for me. And uh, I said, I think I got a chance to offend everyone this week. So, you know, <laughs> all I say is come back uh, next week, all right? Whatever I mess up today, I want to clarify next week. Um, but here's, I'll tell you honestly, honestly, right now, um, I want you to live in this tension. As your pastor, I want you to live in this tension. I want you to live in this tension of a world that um, is in love with being wasted, a church that is supposed to be the light to this world. Um, and we want to be cool. And um, it's okay to be relevant. It's okay to be in it, but it's not okay to be of it. And so there's a tension we have to manage here, okay? It's a tension between abstinence and moderation, and we absolutely know that drunkenness is off limits, and, and I know that there's people that have varying uh, thoughts on this, and I know that there's um, passionate opinions, I know that there's personal experiences, I know that there's deeply held convictions on this, and um, I really, really, really want you to be in this tension. I, I, I want you there, so if I offend you, if I cause you to talk about it, pray about it, see what the Holy Spirit says, um, because this is just too important. It's, it's too much of where we're living right now. It's too much of where we're living. Um, by, by a show of hands, um, if you here at all the campuses, if your family, your mom, dad, brothers, sisters, children, if they have been affected by alcoholism, if they've been affected by alcohol, maybe you've been the victim of a drunk driver, maybe your family was, maybe you've had somebody with a DWI, a DUI, maybe you've been part of abuse, poverty, you've had job loss, immorality, accidents, arrest, or something like that because of alcohol, by a show of hands, if that has affected your family, I want you right now across here in all the campuses, raise your hand, raise your hand if that's affected. Look around the room. Look around the room. That's a great percentage. And I'm not just raising my hand to have people raise my hand. We've been greatly affected. It's something we have to talk about. It's something we have to deal with. It's something that we have to um, say, time to wake up. Time to wake up. I mean, I, I have my own personal experiences. I know it seems crazy that I'm a pastor. My dad was an auto mechanic. Um, my one grandfather uh, worked in a bowling alley. And my other grandfather worked for Anheuser-Busch. Um, I said it before, um, I don't come from a line of preachers. I come from Budweiser, and uh, you know, <laughs> it's true. I mean, he worked for, after a career in the Navy, um, he went to work for Anheuser-Busch, and I can remember going with him to Bush Gardens, and he was the treasurer, and he's like, I bought that, I bought that, I, I did that, that happened because of me, and that. And um, he gave us all sorts of uh, Budweiser paraphernalia as a child. <laughs> I just want to show you my nightlight here. This is true story. This is my nightlight when I was a kid. That was hanging in my room, and my grandfather gave that to us. I think there's another picture. So, yeah, Budweiser. And it would go around, and they would spin around, and you turn it on. It was a cool nightlight. And so for years, my brothers and I were indoctrinated with that nightlight while we slept. It's a wonder we even serve Jesus, you know. I mean, 
So I come from this land, this line of Budweiser. I come from this, and I understand this, that we overcame the odds. I mean, my childhood memories were of driving with dad on Saturday to Mendota Heights to the liquor store. We lived in Egan, and we'd drive to Mendota Heights, and dad would buy us two cases of beer on Saturday. And I loved it. It was dad time. It was dad time. Matter of fact, I, could, I look back at the pictures. He'd give me the haircuts, and I'd be sitting on the two cases of beer. You know, that's how he'd elevate us up so he could cut our hair. I mean, that was dad. I can, I can remember that. It was part of our family. I can remember my dad made wine. My dad would make wine out of anything. Um, he's like, I think you can make wine out of dandelions. He tried it, you know. I don't recommend it, but... And I can remember one time we were out to eat and my mom immediately started to swell up, just started swelling up. I mean, she couldn't breathe. We had to call uh, the paramedics. They had to come to the restaurant. They had to bring her into the hospital. And it was that night that we realized that my mom was actually allergic to wine. Um, And we realized at that moment that her low tolerance to alcohol was actually her body saying, you can't handle this. And she almost died that night, and um, even to this day, she's still allergic to alcohol. I can remember my dad going home that night and going into the basement. He has his wine collection. I can remember all the things, you know, he had them all on different levels. And I can remember that night so clearly because all we heard for the next hour was as he shattered every bottle of wine in the basement. And he said, if that stuff is going to kill your mom, it won't be in this house. I guess you remember that. And I was thinking, like, you could have just poured it out. It was a lot smaller mess, you know. But the passion that was there, like, do you understand this thing almost took down my loved one? And it's taken down loved ones in our family. My own wife has shared that her sister Naomi was here at our church at Sparkle Conference, all yellow. We didn't know it was wrong, but her liver was shutting down. She was an alcoholic for years. From right after Sparkle Conference, she gives her life to Jesus Christ. And and from there, she goes into the hospital. And we find out her liver's failing and that they won't do a liver transplant because she hasn't been sober in 20 years. And so we watched her liver shut down her body and her kidneys fail. And we watched her die uh, uh, just a slow, painful death in that hospital. And I preached at her funeral. I said, thank God she got in on grace. Thank God that she came to Sparkle and gave her life to Jesus Christ. Thank God she got in on grace, but cut down way too early, way too early. Becca's brother Tom went to Hazelden, and he's doing great. After a battle with alcoholism, he's doing amazing, and we thank God for his recovery and how he's moving forward. My own brother Rick, with messing around with alcohol, sent me an email, and he's like, you can't preach this one hard enough, brother. He's like, you can't preach it hard enough. He's like, I hate the evil of alcohol. I quote him, he says, I have come to hate alcohol because it is a a trap of the devil against so many people. This sermon series was birthed out of my own boys telling me about people that they work with, their coworkers, which <laughs> pre-working at Shakopee Campus, by the way, just to clarify, <laughs> Pastor Chris and the team, you know, pre-Connor was uh, a server at Buffalo Wild Wings. They said, we're tired. Everybody comes in after the weekend. We were so wasted. 
We were so wasted. It was the greatest. We were so wasted. And they're so excited that they were so wasted. And they're like uh, so proud of this. And I'm thinking, seriously, you're proud of the fact that you lost control, that you showed no restraint, that you lived like a maniac, that you passed out, that you could have lost it all, that you woke up in a stranger's bed, that you wasted your money, that you don't remember a thing, and you want to brag on this? What a waste. What a waste. There's more to life than this. And I'd love to scream to this generation, like Paul said in Ephesians 5, don't be drunk. Don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. There's more for you. There's way more for you. Just so sad that we're so proud of something so wrong. As I was preparing for this series, this is true. This last week as we were preparing for this series on 101.3, the Dave Ryan morning show, after Halloween, they had a contest, and the contest was called Your Drunk Wins. And they had people call in on the radio morning show, and they, try, they told how drunk they were on Halloween. And the person that was the most drunk, or if they were impressed with your story, you actually won prizes for calling into the morning talk show. That was happening right here in the Twin Cities. It's sad. It's so sad that they're bragging about something that could have killed someone, that they could have lost it all. And I would, I would venture to believe that almost everyone here, probably is maybe a few people in the minority that would say there's nothing wrong with drunk, but the vast majority, if not all of us, would say being drunk is wrong. And no matter who you are, I think the secular world would agree um, drunk driving. It's kind of like that's the thing. It's like, well, at least drunk driving, we all agree on that one, you know. And then there's different degrees like binge drinking. Like, well, you know, they're in college or they're, you know, and we kind of give exceptions. We don't give exceptions at the church. Being drunk is wrong no matter what. And I just want to say this, there's a zero tolerance for that. And we'll talk about that next week because I'm tired of people saying, well, push the line, push the line, push the line. But I never hear anybody being corrected. You can't tell me that out of all the people that are drinking, that are friends, that are Christians, that say, well, moderation, that nobody's crossing the line. You never hear about anybody being corrected in this. Or people say, hey, stop, stop, slow down. You were out of line. You're crossing the line. So there's zero, zero tolerance. But I believe we need a higher standard as Christians. And I want us to live in the tension between moderation and um, abstinence. Zero tolerance from being drunk. Listen to the word of God says. It's very clear about being drunk. It says, Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. We're going to talk about that next week. That's going to be our key scripture. Romans 13.13, 13, let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. 1 Peter 3, or 4, verses 3 through 4. You've had enough. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness, their wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, so they slander you. It's happening today. It happened then. It's very clear. We don't do it anymore. We don't do that. We don't live that way anymore. We don't live that way. And it's interesting. The Bible says that the religious people accused Jesus of being a drunkard. It doesn't say that he was a drunkard. It says that his enemies used that to slander him. Some people are like, well, Jesus hung. Yes, he hung out with them. But I'm telling you what, Jesus was never drunk. Okay? They may have accused him of that, but he was never drunk. He never did that. Now, um, most of us don't live. Again, I'd be preaching to the choir. I'd get a lot of amens. I was like, don't be drunk if I just stayed there. Um, because most of us would be like, yeah, yeah, that's right. But 
in the world of moderation and abstinence, and, and where are we at and what are we looking at? And as I look at the Word of God, um, I think it's unreasonable to claim that there's no alcohol in the Bible, that when there's references, the couple hundred times that the word is used, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, that it's never alcoholic, because sometimes it is. And I think it'd be just as unreasonable to say that it's not grape juice if you understand the culture. Because I think there's grape juice, and I think there's alcohol, and I think there's everything in between. And there's two main Hebrew words, or a Hebrew word and a Greek word that's word that, that are used. Uh, yayin is used 141 times. It's used in the Bible. And it could mean either alcohol or it could mean grape juice. And so you have to look at the context. For instance, in Lamentations, when it says uh, an infant wants the drink and it uses that word, it's obvious that an infant doesn't want alcohol. An infant wants some grape juice, okay? So you've got to look at the context of it. There's another word in the Greek and, and the word that is used in the, in the New Testament. It also implies grape juice or it implies alcohol. And so it, it's used all in between. Aristotle, uh, even pre-Bible stuff, was using the word and saying the same word that is in the Bible, and he was explaining that it was grape juice. So it could be grape juice. It could be wine. I'm being very clear about this. And I want to let you know that all the research that I've looked at is that there was alcohol in the Bible, that people in the Bible drank alcohol. It's obvious. Some of our in there is the account of getting drunk. All right, but it's very clear that drunkenness was wrong. And I want to let you know this, that in the Bible times when they would drink, um, they would water down the alcohol. I'm just letting you know that throughout the historical documents and throughout the things that we see in the Bible, they would water it down. Matter of fact, um, Homer in the Odyssey, in Homer's Odyssey, he talks about the mixture being 20 to 1, 20 parts wine and uh, or 20 parts water, yeah, 20 parts wine, that'd be <laughs> the opposite. 20 parts water, one part wine. Pliny talks about eight to one. Jewish culture was three to one, three to one. And so they put three parts water, one part wine, and, and it's interesting. It was like a lower calorie, lower alcohol content, much, much, much lower. Matter of fact, it's an interesting, interesting thing. I was watching a, a video about a young man. He tried to think, uh, tried to show if he could drink the um, Oduls, if he could drink 30 of them in one hour and get drunk. Like if he could drink just, a, and so he slammed 30 of them in one hour and uh, just put a breath into a breathalyzer and he was at uh, 0.02. He couldn't do it. You know, so you look at it, it was probably more of a lower alcoholic content on the regular usage of the people. They would... Um, Mix it in, and I, I was thinking about this. Of we have all these mix-ins now, and sweet, this is, is I don't mio mayo. I don't use it, but the staff got it for me. Mio mayo energy. All right, here it is. And they they you'd pour a couple drops of this into your water, and you'd make it taste better. All right, and they would mix it in. And so I'm just letting you know the alcoholic content that we consume today, that many consume, is way off the charts comparatively to the biblical times way off the charts. You're like, well, they drank wine. Well, they drank like watered down. In some ways, the alcohol acted like chlorine in the water to, to uh, cleanse it and kill some of the things that were in it. In many cases, it was to sweeten it up. They didn't have Coke and Pepsi, okay? And so they would actually boil down the grapes into a highly concentrated form and then use that to add to the water, okay? So I'm just letting you 
know this, if you understand this, that when you look at this, please look at it and understand it in context and understand what's going on here. It wasn't much of the common day, everyday stuff. wasn't a, a desire to get drunk. It was a desire to have the, uh, a taste into the water. It was a desire to add uh, cleanliness to it. It was, it was a little bit of wine. Sure, there was some of that going on, but it wasn't. Drunkenness was looked down upon, and it was clear in the Word of God. Think about this in in 1 Timothy 5, the Apostle Paul has to urge Timothy to drink some wine for his stomach. Now, if it was common, you wouldn't think that he'd have to urge him to do it. He's like, hey, I, come on, you got a stomach problem, take a little bit of it. And he was actually, in all likelihood, saying, take the stronger stuff for your stomach. It's like a medicine to you. And as I looked it up in the Greek, the word there is actually NyQuil. It's actually NyQuil. No, I'm just kidding. But it was like NyQuil, which NyQuil is like 25% alcohol, so. But it was more like a medicine. And he's got to urge him. He's got to urge him to do that. So if, if, if it's all clear that I don't want you to get drunk, I don't want you to be drunk, I don't want you to be drunk, he's urging him to use this for his stomach. It's not like he's like doing it all the time and he's urging him. It's interesting that we would say like, well, they drank, they drank, they drank. Understand it in culture and the way they drank it. And again, I'm not saying that it was always grape juice, but I'm saying there was no way that it was their desire to get wasted. That was not their desire. If you look, the warning is over and over and over and over again. Don't get wasted. Don't get wasted. Don't get wasted. Matter of fact, it's interesting to me. I I love the truth of the Bible, the fact that it records so much truth for us. I love the fact that it records that the first person that gets drunk was Noah. I love that it records that he plants a vineyard and gets drunk from the wine that it makes. But it's interesting. Noah's the first recorded instance of someone getting drunk and the first recorded instance of somebody wasting something. He has a wasted legacy. Noah, it could have been an amazing story. Noah and the ark and his boys, but instead you always have to add that little footnote. Yeah, but he had the one son that came in, saw him naked, had a family curse, kind of separated the family because he was drunk and laying around naked. You don't go much further in the Bible in Genesis 19 and you see Lot and his daughters, they have no husbands. So what do they do? They get their dad drunk so they can sleep with them. How sad is that? A wasted family from alcohol. The Bible records it not to show the shame, but it shows us like a lighthouse saying, watch out, watch out for the drinks on the rocks. Watch out, the rocks are dangerous. Watch out, don't waste. Watch out for what can happen. There's danger over there. Herod and John the Baptist, Herod's having a party. Their booze is flowing. His daughter dances for him. He's like, what do you want? She wants the head of John the Baptist. And here we've got this wasted potential with John the Baptist being cut down early from a wild party. It's my theory that Elizabeth started the first mad, mothers against drunk despots. You know, and said, I'm gonna... Belshazzar in Daniel 5, he's drinking with God's goblet and he has a wasted kingdom. God's like, today your kingdom is taken from you. And there's just so many things. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Don't let alcohol waste your life. It's a clear warning. And so uh, for me, I've said, I don't want to drink it at all. I don't want to drink it at all. I, I, you know, I'm not going to go down that road. I'm not going to be down that road at all. Because do you realize that millions of people in America have a drinking problem? 
Millions, not from church statistics, but from the CDC, they're saying millions of people have a drinking problem. And by the way, don't tell me the other countries don't have drinking problems. Okay, like, well, the other countries, they know how to handle their liquor. America just doesn't know how. We have a problem, but it's universal. Okay, it's universal. All the people in the Bible, they weren't Americans, by the way. They got drunk, all right? But Russia, big article just came out not that long ago. Russia is drinking itself to death. That's what they said. Russia is drinking itself to death. Don't tell me, like, oh, the rest of the world. Russia, like, I think they invented vodka, okay? And they're drinking themselves to death. Matter of fact, when I was in Russia, I remember one of the candidates was campaigning like, I will lower the price of vodka. That's my promise. That's how he's planning to get elected. That's a problem. And they said that 30% of their deaths right now are alcohol related. And they have the shortest lifespans of any country in an industrialized uh, nation. Don't tell me they know how to handle their liquor. It's a problem all across the world. 16% worldwide is the average for binge drinking. America is at 24%, but the worldwide average is 16%. It's a problem. I've seen the borracho in Mexico. I've seen them, okay? I've been approached by the drunk guy in Australia. They call him a maggot. I've seen it. I've seen drunk people everywhere. It happens all over the place. Alcohol gets in and it destroys. The waste that happens in the United States of America, $250 billion a year, they figure, from alcohol waste. Not being poured down the sink, but potential being poured down the drain. $250 billion of impaired productivity, sick days when people call in because they're hungover, early deaths that happen, crime and incarceration, healthcare costs, motor crashes, $250 billion a year. That's a waste. That's a total waste. And my question is, are we helping or hurting our, our country, our, our friends around us? Are we helping or hurting the tension in a country that's given to excesses, are we helping or hurting? We are a country that doesn't know how to say no. We say live in moderation, and then we buy another car. We say live in moderation, and we need another pair of shoes. We say live in moderation, and we gotta have it, gotta have it, gotta have it, put it on credit. We don't know moderation. And so we're like, let's live in moderation in this area. We're not doing very well in the rest of the areas. What makes us think that we can do well in an addictive substance like alcohol? Let's just have moderation. Let's show how we can say no. You're not doing a very good job. I think we should set a higher standard. And here's one thing. As pastors, I will let you know, our pastors have committed not to drink. We've said we're going to stand up with those people that suffer with alcoholism. We're going to set a higher standard. We're going to, even though we could drink, we choose not to drink. We say we want to set a higher standard. We want to help those people that are in recovery. We want to help those people that think that the only way to live a good life is to have alcohol. We're going to go over here and say we can live without it. So our pastors set that standard, okay? I want to tell you this. One thing I've realized, as fast as I live, if I got into alcohol, I'd be into trouble. I just know it. I mean, I remember when I started drinking coffee at age 40. I didn't drink coffee until 40. And then I was like, oh my goodness, caffeine works. Where has that been? I mean, I just thought if I ever tried alcohol, I'd be a goner, all right? So the way I look at it is the stakes are too high for me to see if steak tastes better with wine. That's the way I look at it, all right? And um, 
I was invited over to somebody's house. They had an amazing dinner. We had steaks, and they offered me wine. And no offense there, all right? I didn't mean that, but I had that line way before you invited me over for dinner. All right. <laughs> Live in the tension. Live in the tension. We want to go higher or we want to go lower? We want to go higher or lower? That's, it's our call. Proverbs 20, verse 1. As I read through the Proverbs, as a young man, I saw this. Wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. I read that scripture when I was a teen. I was like, it's obvious I'm not a fighter, so I'm not going to be going with the beer. And uh, I don't want to be dumb, so wine's out too, you know. And here's the thing that's amazing about wine and beer. It's a mocker, but here's the thing. It mocks you after the fact. When it's sitting there right there, it's saying everything you want is right here. It's right for you. But as you're drinking, it's laughing at you. And as you drink too much, they're laughing at you. And the whole time, it's mocking you, and you don't know it because it's a gradual impairing of the senses. And next thing you know, you're doing things that you never would have done. Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 35. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me up, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? That's the life of the person that gets down that road and gets mocked by alcohol, that goes down the road that leads to destruction. I'll tell you this, from these passages, we see intoxication is foolish. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. We see that drinking becomes an addiction that you crave, and you need more and more and more, and you need a little more and a little more. And you're like, when can I wake up so I can find another drink? Questions for you, if you're here and you drink. Questions, again, we'll talk about this. I want you to live in the tension, and we're going to talk about the tension of moderation, and, and we're going to really dig into it. But how often do you think about drinking or think about a plan so you can drink? How many of your social plans revolve around alcohol? How many of your favorite memories or times with friends and family did not involve alcohol? Could you have a good time without it? I had some young 20-somethings asking me the other day. They said, we're having a party. Like, we just don't even know if we can, like, have a party without having alcohol. We're like, we're going to be the losers. Isn't that interesting? When was the last time you showed up at a party and then they said, yeah, there's no alcohol? And you're like, oh, awesome. Usually, you know, we do the neighborhood Christmas party in our neighborhood. And the first couple of years, they came over and they're like, hey, there's no booze. I was like, no booze. <laughs> Diet Coke. And they're like, oh, do we want to move the party to somebody else's house? You know, I mean, Right. Right? Why can't they just say, oh, why is it so important that we've got to have booze to make it a great party? If you do, I think you've got problems. <coughs> Drinking can put you in the poorhouse, not our Minneapolis campus. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> put you in the other one. Which is it? Did you know that the radio, there's a radio show, I don't know which one it was, they were talking about our Minneapolis campus meeting in the poorhouse. And they're like, oh, they're meeting in the bar. That's incredible. We should go Saturday night, get wasted drunk, sleep in the bar, go to church and get our parking validated. They were talking about our church. You know? At least they're talking about us. All right, we're there. But it'll put you in the poorhouse. 
It'll put you in the poorhouse because it'll cost you a lot. Isn't it amazing that people will spend $100 on booze and think nothing of it? And if I want to give $100 to the church because I love what the Holy Spirit's doing, not what the other spirits are doing, you think I'm crazy. They go out all weekend and waste away a weekend, and it's amazing. And I say I put money in. They're like, you're a lunatic. But you can lose your job. We see it many, many times. It'll put you in the poorhouse. Causes you to do stupid things. Proverbs says your eyes will see strange sights. Your mind will imagine confusing things. It'll cause you to do stupid things. As I was studying this, the Jewish culture was so against being drunk, so against it. And the Jewish rabbis, in, in their teachings, they would tell stories. And it's called the Midrash. It's, so in the Midrash, the Haggadah is like stories and little story things and little illustrations that they would use. And I found this one because they were trying to show their people how bad alcohol was. And they said that in Genesis, when Noah planted his vineyard, Satan came along. Now, this is a story. This is not in the Bible, all right? This is an illustration from Jewish people talking about Genesis 9, okay? Not in the Bible, all right? And they said, Satan came along to Noah and said, what are you planting? He said, I'm planting a vineyard. And he says, well, what do you grow? He said, I grow grapes. And he says, what are the qualities of grapes? He goes, well, they're good for food, good for drink. And he goes, mind if we go into partnership on this? And Noah said, no, no problem. Help me plant the vineyard. And it says then that Satan went and sacrificed a lamb, a lion, a monkey, and a pig and fertilized the ground around the grapes with those animals. And he said, those qualities will be in the alcohol. Again, story. He said, those qualities will be in the alcohol that when a person has one drink, they'll be like a lamb, meek. When they have two drinks, they'll be bold like a lion. When they have three or four drinks, they will act ridiculous like a monkey. And if they have more than that, they will look like a pig. And that's how they said it, to try to tell people, like, stay away. Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. There's trouble there. God says don't be wasted. God says it very clear, Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. I'm telling you, there's more. You don't need it to have a great life. We've been living an amazing life without it. You don't need it, Okay. We can call up our people to a higher standard. We can call the church up. We can call people up. We're going to look at what Paul says. Everything's permissible, but is it beneficial? Where's, where's that tension? He's living in that tension. I'll say this last thing. I felt like an old school preacher today. Um, I don't apologize for that. Kind of enjoyed it. Um, I'm not here to kick you out, not here to condemn you. I'm here to help you live in the tension. I want to, if there's conviction there, own it. Go to God in prayer. If there's something there you need to work on, I want you to have the fullness of life. I do not want you to waste your life. I don't want you ripped off. I don't want to do funerals for people that wasted their life away. I thank God Naomi got in in grace, but I don't want to do another one like that. The first funeral I ever did was alcohol and snowmobiles mixed together, deadly combination. Guy hit a tree. I don't want to do any more like that. I don't want to see people that were in the ministry and they got sidetracked away and lost it all. Wasted, wasted. And I'll say this, Jesus Christ can set you free immediately or with the help of wonderful friends. It may be a direct deliverance or it may be something that happens through a wonderful treatment program. You could go on our website and and type in recovery on the search and you'll find the different things that we offer. But I'm telling you, it's not to condemn. This is to bring conviction to us to say, God, we don't want to waste our life. We don't want to let our friends waste their life, and we want to live at a higher standard. So, Lord, help us to have that thought, to live at a higher standard. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.